Hi, everyone. This is Reeve with a special note to the listeners. We recorded this early on Wednesday before news broke that University of Texas System Chancellor Francisco Cigarroa was accepting UT Austin President Bill Powers' resignation effective June 2nd. So know that that was the outcome as you go into our conversation that preceded it. Enjoy. Texas talking oh, What was that that you said? Texas talking oh, Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking oh, Tell me who can you trust When Texas goes Hi, this is Sam Monroe. I serve as president of Lamar State College in Port Arthur. And I'm uh, welcoming you today to the TripCast. And your host is... Reeve Hamilton, and I send you all the best greetings from Port Arthur, the city that oils the world. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the TribCast. It is the second week of July, and I am joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Editor Emily Ramshaw. Hi there. And senior reporter Jay Root. Hello. Who's from that region, the Port Arthur region? He oils the world. Jay oils our podcast for sure. (laughs) Uh, should we? Anyone have any questions? Can on I the go first wash topic? now? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> go take a shower quick. Right. Uh, I don't want to just jump into a monologue. So you don't. Someone asked me a question about. Sure. Reeve, do you have a monologue for us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reeve, would you like to give us the weekly monologue on the University of Texas at Austin? Thank it, you. Is, the week- is Bill Powers in trouble? Yeah. Well, it's sort of awkward to talk about this timing-wise because we're recording this on Wednesday morning, and within. 28 hours, I'd say, we should know if Bill Powers is still the president of the University of Texas at Austin or not, or if he is, I mean, he's definitely on his way out. We just don't know the timeline. It could be tomorrow. It could be in June, basically. So what's happened is last week, the chancellor of the UT system, Francisco Cigarroa, asked Powers to agree to step down effective at the end of October and announce it in August. And uh, the alternative he was apparently given was, or you might be fired at uh, the upcoming meeting, which is Thursday. Might be fired or or you will be fired? Uh, it's, it's been, sources have presented it as an ultimatum. It was right. basically but, jump or I'll push you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. But I think, I mean, there, I think the firing the president comes with a certain level of risk, right? I mean, you just have the... Legislators are sort of going ballistic over this. The Association of American Universities, which is the most prestigious group of research universities in the country, their president has come down and said, this is horrible, this is awful. The Alumni Association is out of control. Powers is currently their chairman. And that that term is up in October. So that was supposedly part of Cigarro's thinking. It's like once your AAU chairmanship is up, then it's time for you to go. So what, you know, what changed? Because Cigarro said in whatever it was back there, December or January or February, that December. while I have some problems with this, um, with this guy, uh, I think we ought to keep him. I don't think we ought to fire him. And here he is a few months later having announced his own resignation, um, switching gears. So why is he switching gears? He's going to be known as the chancellor. Exactly. Instead of the chancellor who started the medical school, he's going to be known as the chancellor who fired Bill Powers. Well, that's another thing to consider, right, as he figures out what to do, is he's sort of, for better or for worse, playing with his own legacy, right, the way this plays out. Uh, but he would probably argue, and he has not been 
super forthcoming in this whole thing. So news of this broke on July 4th. He didn't put out a statement till Monday night, late Monday night. And he hasn't done any interviews. He did one short interview with the Austin American Statesman's op-ed board. And he said, this has been very difficult for me. And that's about it. I think uh, here I'm going to do a conspiracy theory. But that was just here. my wind-up. I didn't even answer the question. Yet. Oh, sorry. Well, I'm going to jump in okay. anyway. Because I think there's something that Sigaroa knows that he's not revealing that must be pretty damning about powers. Because I just – why would Sigaroa – Please say darning. Public. Darning. Yeah, right. This is a family-friendly podcast. Why would Sigaroa, yeah, who is on his way out the door, he could leave this whole mess behind to somebody else, keep his own legacy intact as not being the guy who fired the beloved you know, UT Austin president. I think there must be something that is so bad that Sigaroa knows that he cannot wait. If there's not, then this whole thing has been just another episode in this strange Cold War where, you know, it's a sort of a, a proxy battle between, like, the governor and the legislature and the and the universities caught in the middle. And one of the things that I find interesting about this story is that it's you really— something interesting? Well, it's hard story. to understand it. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it, it's it's like, you know, the battles in Vietnam and Cambodia, but the oh, real war <laughs> is between Russia or between the Soviet Union and the United States. It's like— this is all just sort of casualties of this what you it's know a war. war. It's right. a proxy war. It seems like right. it is to I me. Mean, but I mean, if, if there is something that changes the narrative, then that, then all of a sudden, one side would win, right? Do you think the? I, I don't think that the conservative activists of the world that push the legislature on all sorts of policies just have a natural sudden interest in the University of Texas at Austin's administration. You no. know, it's like not a natural conservative liberal issue split i think i think it was definitely like a sort of a weird fixation on it that speaks to that proxy war idea well there's but, also the sort of the classic ivory tower versus the the populist fight and and this is also going but on the, around the, the this country. isn't even that though this is the well, ivory tower versus the other rich white guys on the uh board of regents but right, to this but political, point, why, why wouldn't Sigaroa have said in his statement, instead of like it's a breakdown of communication why wouldn't he have said troubling information has come to light and he, you know what I mean? Then it would be like, you well, know, here you you can move on out or, right. or have quit. a magic fact inside right. this black box. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. So, uh, yeah, to answer that, I would probably back up a little bit to Ross's earlier question and say that I think from Sigaroa's perspective, nothing has really changed since December. So in December, Power's job was up for uh, a vote. No, yeah. just up for a vote. There was sort of the issue was on the table at the Board of Regents meeting and Sigaroa recommended that he stay but gave this little speech saying like look our relationship is terrible he said significantly strained he didn't say terrible right uh, our our relationship is significantly strained and i think you should stick around for the good of the university but in order to stick around you have to sort of cooperate with the system and play nicely and uh you know and and be a good citizen or something is basically what he said uh and your, so, your academic grades are good. Your comportment. Right. <laughs> right. No, that's basically what it is. You know, right. I mean. Your bedside manner sucks. Right. The, uh, and so basically what he said in his statement that he put out on Monday night was uh, the Powers administration has not cooperated with us and has not gone along. So basically my plan was – so basically I offered him this opportunity to leave in a way that let him finish out his AAU chairmanship and, and gave him time to finish up his $3 billion capital campaign. Uh, it was still a pretty – tight timeline, right? I mean, But why would this be a priority for Sigaroa on his way out the door? And why would this want to be what he's remembered 
identify. You know, it, it sounds to me like the votes changed among the regions. If you've got, you know, the, the scuttlebutt, because they never actually voted, right? Um, they never voted, right. The, the scuttlebutt was that Powers had five votes. It's a nine-member board um, that four members were ready to toss him out, but not five. And, and so, you know, I assume if you're going to come in and threaten a guy and say either you quit or the regents will vote to fire you, somebody changed their vote. So what changed that person's vote? Was it politics? Was it some fact? Was it, you know, some political fact? I mean, you know, it could mm. be could be as simple as um could be as simple as just personalities, you know. Could be personalities. But it it it's a lot to risk just for a personality fight. You know, I mean, like mm. I said, you know, Siguro is trading being the chancellor who got the medical school built for this instead, you know, you're you're building your legacy. Um you're tearing down powers and it's very difficult to tear down the chief executive of a big institution with also, without also tearing down the institution. And there's a fair number of former Longhorns. I'm not one of them. But there's a fair number of former Longhorns and current Longhorns who think this is about an Aggie governor and an Aggie administration tearing down the Longhorns so that the Aggies can be the – so Texas A&M can be the first university. I mean there's a million things going on and, and a million speculations going on. And the main reason for that is because these guys on both sides of this won't show their hand. And the chancellor has denied that this came from the governor's office or pressure from any regions. He said this was my office's decision. Um, Maybe he doesn't want powers to outstay him. Well, that I mean, you, that's one of the you know there. Like Ross said, there are a thousand theories out there, right? right? But you could just flip that logic to say he wants to do this before he leaves so that he can have some influence over the presidential search process. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, there's a process thing here too. That's you know sort of on the back burner. UT goes into. The next legislative session, which starts in January, potentially here, we'll certainly here without a chancellor um, or with an acting chancellor or with an interim, and potentially with an acting or interim president in a year that's going to be a tough budget year for universities. And, and you know, what Powers seems to be arguing on one hand, I mean, one, one of his things is, I'll, I'll leave, but I want to leave in June so that I can walk through this legislative session. Right. Um, they could go naked into the legislative well, session. Well, he's got a legislature full of people who are his, who are his allies. You know, mm. I mean, it, it makes sense that Powers wants to stick around through the legislative session. Though a lot of those allies are on their way out or significantly Less sort of, empowered yeah. than they have been in recent, in previous sessions, yeah. If there's not some smoking gun, though, uh, and, and Michael Quinn Sullivan, the conservative activist, suggested that there was a smoking gun, that it was some kind of, a, you know, UT admissions uh, deal where there were there's maybe another lawmaker who got somebody in with undue influence. I so mean, there was a whistleblower or something like yeah, that. Yeah, a right? whistleblower. I mean, so you know, it, but if there's not a smoking gun, it just this this is going to be. It's not going to be resolved. It's still just going to be one side against the other. But I could also me. see Sigaroa not revealing a smoking gun because that's kind of the way he is. Like He's it, not very forthcoming. He's not very forthcoming. And at the end of the day, he may know something that he never reveals publicly because it'll hurt, you know, damage the reputation of the university system. You can't keep the whole state at the children's table here. you got to yeah. let some of them at the adults' table to, to figure out what this is mm-hmm. about. I mean, how does a legislator vote in this thing? How does a legislator take a side? How does somebody who's in a responsible third party position and not just, you know, a noisemaker like us. How does somebody look at this thing and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's at stake here? What's the proxy war Jay's talking about? Explain this to me. These guys aren't explaining anything. Well, of course, this is all happening against the backdrop of uh, the Wallace Hall, the regent who is being investigated by the legislature who could be impeached. So it'd be interesting to see if the legislature turns around and just 
hits the button on impeachment, sort of a mutually assured destruction thing, to go back to a Cold War analogy. Right, and it's totally – now, I can see how it's in Wallace Hall's uh, interest to keep the smoking gun sort of in the box for a while. And then if you're just like an impeachment hearing, you pull it out. I mean, that's that would be the time to pull it out, whereas with, with Cigaroa, it's like now. But it's certainly – I mean, you know, this has been – years in the making, right? And Powers' job has been on the line multiple times, and it's there's been just ongoing personality conflict with very little actual substance revealed by either side for years. So it's it's sort of of a theme. Yeah, I mean, from a news value perspective, at least things are finally happening, you know? I mean, we've been watching all this smoke around this fire for so long, and now it's like, you know, action. Yeah, finally Harry Potter's going to fight Voldemort. (laughs) Here we are seven books into this thing. Fight him! So I guess, you know... I haven't read any of the Harry Potter books. Confession. Hashtag confession. Oh. Now we have to talk about that. Yeah. That's a real crisis. Holy cow. Now you really Cultural have an illiteracy. issue that people care about. Uh, well, I mean, the, the thing is, many people listening to this will know the outcome at this point. So, you know, boy, congratulations. Are we, boy, are we going to sound dumb. Yeah, right. <laughs> so write us a note at... Yeah. <laughs> we just like to... You are an idiot. We'd com. like to congratulate everyone that still has their job. Uh, moving on. Uh, to what else is going on this week? President Obama is coming to town. Yeah, it's actually, you know, this is another one we're straddling. I guess he's in town as we're as we're taping. Um, going to do fundraisers in Dallas and in Austin, two of his favorite fundraising cities in Texas. I think if you check the numbers, he's raised more in Dallas and in Austin than in Houston or San Antonio. So those are kind of his two ATM right. spots. He's also landing in the middle of this um, border crisis or whatever you want to call it with 50,000 uh, accompanied and unaccompanied children on the border and the and the federal and state governments figuring out how to process them and how to keep the border secure and you know the um, he just announced 3.7 billion that he was he's requesting asking, right for, he's asking for right. 3.7 billion which is seems like a so he's asking for it and he, so he's now he's getting criticized for asking for it too late and asking for not enough. Well, if you right. if you if you go past the sound bites for just a second, the there's a a Bush era law on the books mm-hmm. that requires the um, these kids to be processed before you do anything with them. You know, you have to take them in, and having taken them in, they have to go through a legal process in order to deport them or to decide you know what you're going to do right. with them. Have and a court date established. So so part of this money out. is we don't have the court capacity to handle all of these cases. So they got to get some judges in there. They got to do some courts really fast. In the meantime, while you're processing them, you have to take care of them somehow. So there's money for that, and then and then you have this. Um, conversation about border security and policing and all of that kind of stuff, that has to be done. You have all of these healthcare things. You've got to vaccinate these kids so they don't bring in, you know, whatever is the current disease in Honduras or Nicaragua or wherever. You have to do all of that. So that's what the $3.7 billion is. Um, the governor has made a big border security issue out of this. He's actually, I think, making some political points. He's pretty much in tune, according to our polling, with where certainly Republican voters are in Texas and really where most you know the the majority of voters in Texas are does, on does deportation going, and immigration. Does going on national TV and saying that the border crisis is a implying that the border crisis might be a sort of uh, manufactured by the presidential administration does that earn him points or lose him points? It depends on with whom. Yeah. yeah, I think you know I think that probably resonates with conservative voters right now, and you know it it happens at a time you know if you look at the political environment we're in, we're what eighty days before an election. Um, 
And, you know, Obama's unpopular in Texas. Seventy four percent of Texas Republicans um, in our last poll said that they would um, support immediate deportation of undocumented immigrants of any age in the country. Fifty four percent of voters overall in Texas feel that way about it. You know, I think the governor's on pretty solid ground. Oh, this is a huge opportunity for him. I mean, you know, this is an issue that he was beat up on on the presidential campaign trail when he came out and said, you know, those of you who don't want to give in-state tuition to kids of illegal immigrants, you know, don't have a heart. That was basically the end of his campaign. Many ends, but that was one of the ends of his campaign. You know, now he's in a place where he gets to really play the heavy on border security, where he says, you know, to the president, all you want to do is shake my hand on the tarmac in the middle of this crisis, and, and Obama. Obama says, basically, okay, I'll meet with you. Right. You know, I mean, uh, Perry holds the cards right now. He was he dominated a, a he- congressional hearing on the border on this issue. This is exactly where he wants to be. This has fallen into his lap. Well, and the other thing is um, we're not talking about any potential other Republican presidential candidates this week. We're talking about Rick Perry. We're not right. talking about Chris Christie or Jeb Bush. Or it's, it's, this is pro- this is shaping up to be a good week for Rick Perry, I think. And I think too that you know both sides are just going to try to pull some kind of political advantage on this. And Obama's going to say, "Look, you said you wanted money. You said you wanted attention. I'm I'm offering four billion dollars. You should take it." Um, and there is sort of you know if you do eventually look past the politics to the policy of it. The, the border security, that phrase border security, I mean, what does it really mean? These people are turning themselves in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how many cops you have down there. You could you could have the entire Department of Public Safety, all the Border Patrol, take them from Canada and put them on the border. These kids are still going to walk across and turn themselves in. Uh, it's more like because a refugee when they, situation. When they the turn themselves in, situation. then, I mean, wh- you know, are you going to just say, okay, you know, you need to just walk back across the border? I mean, that sounds good. It's a good soundbite. You probably can get some cheap political uh, points out of that. But the bottom line is, once they get across on our soil, we have rules and you have to be processed. And I think I, I read somewhere that we have like seven judges or something in Texas. I mean, we obviously that, that do this kind of thing. We obviously do not have enough infrastructure to 50, do 50,000 kids divided by seven. Huh? Yeah, I mean, it's just not that, you know, you, people aren't going to get a hearing. I mean, they obviously need to have, you know, some kind they need more judges more infrastructure to process these people Mm -hmm. and then maybe there is sort of a uh some kind of fast track legislation like you said the the bush era legislation that's what uh came into play here and you know where you sort of look at these situations and decide is this a refugee if we send this person back are they going to be killed Mm -hmm. because they're they're wanted somewhere in some unfortunate unfair way and we're just going to send them back and let them be killed i mean that's really not the American way. So it's it's going to take some time to to process these things. But the idea that like but because of this, because people are coming across and turning themselves in, that somehow the security apparatus is broken, I think is obviously been demagogued mm-hmm. a little bit. Because they're actually taking advantage of the security apparatus. That's right, exactly. Access. Yeah. Right. Exactly. They're coming in and just actually just turning themselves in because we, we don't you, you because there isn't a quick deportation. So the, the the issue is really, I mean, the Congress needs to step in and do something about it. And 
Well, politically, um, I mean, I think back to that political point for a second, I think it's interesting that Rick Perry has been able to sort of dominate the limelight around this issue. You know, there was a joint press conference, I think, early last week or late the week before that was Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott, which was kind of like, you know, an interesting duo. Those guys were together right. in San Antonio. But I haven't seen either of them really sort of dominating the spotlight on this issue, which is a huge issue, could potentially be a huge issue for both of them. It's really been the Rick Perry show, yeah, which Perry, I think is interesting. Perry sort of took over that hearing and he's been mm-hmm. all over um, cable TV mm-hmm. and all over the news. And, you know, and he's done a good job of stepping in front of everybody. But, you know, like you said, this this whole idea of a conspiracy, I mean, there are dangers, too, because when you get the spotlight, you know, just like with the oops moment or whatever, you can't squander it. So there, there are there, there are some dangers there. You have to be careful not to kook yourself up. <laughs> kook yourself up. Yeah. I like that. We've learned that. That's the a clinical here term. On the, here on the Tribcast. <laughs> yeah. Is this something that, you know, the the Texas legislature has much involvement in? Obviously, they the leadership decided we're not going to have a special session, even though we'll uh, do some emergency funding for it. But it, I guess immigration is largely a federal issue, or is this something that will dominate the 2015 I think they're going to well. play around with in the marketplace of sound bites here. <laughs> you know, I, I you know I think they're going to they're going to have a lot to say about it. There's not really a lot they can do about it. You know, to the extent that they think this really is a border security problem, where they think there's some kind of police issues here, you know, they can step in and fund or defund this or that operation in the Department of Public Safety. They can do some things with highways. They can do some things like that. But mostly, this is a federal thing. It's a federal border. It's you know. Um, Federal border secure, uh, border border patrol, um, customs, all of that kind of stuff, and you have to focus federal attention on that and on the underlying problems. What's going on in you know in all of these countries where these refugees are coming from? This is another one of those areas where we focus a lot of time and attention on things that in the state we can't do all that much about, and then the areas where we can do something. There's virtual silence. I mean, one example of that is worksite enforcement. I mean, the te- the state of Texas could pass a law tomorrow. I mean, if they were in special session and says that every that said every employer would have to use e-verify, but Greg Abbott has already said, the attorney general and Republican candidate for governor has already said that he doesn't want to do that because he doesn't want to put a new burden on business. But so really the message that we send to not just forget about the kids for a second, but the the message that we send to say an able-bodied Mexican laborer in some village in southern Mexico is, you know, we're going to put have this wall security apparatus, but if you can get through it, we have a job for you. And that's that's exactly what's going on. I mean, you can go to any construction site. I can take you anywhere. I could, in five minutes, I could find you an undocumented immigrant working in downtown Austin, um, and nobody is hassling them at all, to, to uh, relatively speaking. Well, and another issue that could be dealt with here in the state that Abbott is sort of tied to in the headlines lately is this sort of chemical disclosure issue. Can you talk about that, Jay, and how that's sort of come up in the public consciousness? Yeah, well, uh, WFAA TV broke a story, uh, I guess maybe a month ago, about the fact that uh, Greg Abbott had ruled as attorney general that these Tier 2 reports, which are reports that... Um, catalog dangerous chemicals that are stored at like fertilizer plants and uh, chemical facilities that the state uh, Department of Health Services no longer has to release those pursuant to an open record request so if you're a citizen and you ask this agent this state agency for these this list of chemicals 
Greg Abbott says they they don't have to give it to you anymore. And in theory, that's to protect from you know terrorism or or malfeasance, people who a, want to do bad things. It was a 2003 yeah. Texas law right. that uh, right. Abbott cited in this opinion that basically says you know these are you know in the case of chemical stockpiles that could be used by terrorists, um, you don't have to make this public. Mm. Right, and so. Um, uh, Brett Ship of WFAA tried to catch up with Abbott at the convention, and he sort of, you know, semi-famously in our political circles rolled away from him and, and wouldn't uh, answer the question. And so, for a while, you know, no, it was there was just silence on this issue. And then last week, uh, he came out uh, at a press conference, a sort of informal press avail, and we asked him, um, you know, what about this? And he said basically that you should just ask the chemical plants. That you could drive around. Um, you could around. just drive around and ask the chemical plants themselves because there is, under the Community Right to Know Act, there is a provision that says that – it actually says in writing they have to give you this information. And so it, it just really sparked a furor, and uh, the Wendy Davis campaign, of course, has tried to take full, full advantage of this. Well, this idea and that you're really putting like the burden on you know right. average citizens who have kids at home and jobs and lives and you well, know and to go hunt around. This same reporter, Brett Shipp from WFAA, went out immediately and started knocking on doors around Dallas and saying, you know, what you got in the yard out there and, um, you know – series of doors slamming, you know, and and uh, that report got pretty widespread play. I mean, well, I, I think it's yeah. an unforced error from Greg Abbott because, you know, he went out, he, he did this press avail um, and just dug a deeper hole. And then he had a, an interview with the AP, dug another deeper hole. He there's a there's an op ed that he wrote and I, I've read it like three times. <clears throat> it, it, it just came out and it basically says that, it, you know, it. We have to do this in order to protect against terrorism, but we also have to give the information to citizens. But to me, there's just a disconnect there. I mean, if you either have to give it out or you have to keep it secret, and there, you know, never the twain shall meet. How can you do both? I there mean, might I be some citizens that have I don't ties to terrorism. Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, and, if a citizen also, can get it, a terrorist right. can get and, it. Right. And to do this, let's put obviously this in context of this massive explosion at the West fertilizer plant right. last year. You know, I mean, to do this at a time. It's such an unforced error, I think, at a time when ev- that is still so fresh on everybody's minds. People had no idea what types of chemicals were being stored there, no idea that their entire community was going to be flattened. Are you putting the burden on those people buying those homes, working in those communities to, to figure out what's stored, you know, a, a, less than a mile from their elementary school or from their senior center? It they're, just was not a good... They're going to have to find a way. I mean, you know, mm-hmm, prob- presumably after the gubernatorial race, maybe in the, in the session, they're going to have to find a way to say, here's what's near your neighborhood and it's secure. Mm-hmm, right. Right. You know, the thing in West was I think it took out four schools. There weren't kids at the schools at the time, but, you know, it took out four schools. And nobody knew that the, that all of these fertilizer chemicals and everything were being stored that close to the schools and what those chemicals could do. Mm-hmm. Well, and is it is it enough of an unforced error to move anything in the polls? Is anything enough to move anything? It's given Davis something to talk about. And, you know, uh, she's, you know. You know, as, as as Jay said, an unforced error is never good. You know, you're in a situation in a governor's race right now where in order to pull this off, the Democrats are going to have to run a really good campaign and the Republicans are going to have to make some mistakes. And we've got we've got part two of that in action. I think this is one example of one of those things, though, that drives the conversation in the media and that doesn't really resonate at the ground level. I'm I, not so sure about that. I I. I you know, again, look, this is Greg Abbott's race to lose. He's 
far and away the front runner. I mean, you know, I, it's hard to imagine a scenario when he would lo- where he would lose. But I do think that people kind of get this because um, if you uh, say that, you know, secrecy of dangerous chemicals in the, in the wake of West, like you said, I mean, it's just not – it's a hard message to sell. And I think um, that the, the sort of scrambling around after this decision did not look good either because it was – you know, at one point he said, I didn't really know about it until afterwards. And you can't you can't really make that argument. That doesn't fly. I mean, your, your office did something. And if, unless you repudiate it and say this was a mistake, I'm going to reverse it, then you have to own it. It's your decision. And so and and, and and this op ed now he's saying the legislature wanted this, but I'm not sure the legislature did want this. And if the legislature wanted the state agency not to give it out, why would they want fire departments to give it out? It just there's some logical disconnect here that I think is going to continue to play out until there's some kind of solution or some kind of uh, policy where you can contain this the, the damage of this decision. So you think it does have longevity as an issue going forward? Yeah, of course people don't want terrorists to blow up parts of their cities, but they don't want anybody else to blow them up either. And, and you've got to figure out a way to say, you know, okay, we're going to put these dangerous things here, so don't build anything precious next to it. Well, unless anyone has anything else to say on any of these topics... Not the golden-voiced warbler, Jay Root? I think I'm done. <laughs> that was warbling. How about that? Uh-huh. Well, you know, if anyone out there has something to say, they have questions or comments, they can send them to tribcast at texastribune.org. Or if they'd like a ticket to Jay's five-minute tour of the undocumented workers of downtown Austin, <laughs> they can sign on to that as well. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. You can see them at Blues on the Green in Austin next Wednesday. And on behalf of Emily, Jay, Ross, and our producer, Todd, this is Reeve. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking about. Texas talking, baby. It's Monday at 9 a.m. I'm sitting here watching the rain coming down. We got a half an inch. We got an inch. It's never going to rain again.